2: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and I'm here with Nathan Makaborski.
3: Hello, everybody.
2: (laughs) And John Schwartz. Hello. So we just had Derek Jeter night here at the stadium. How did everybody like it?
3: It was amazing.
0: It's quite a suit Derek wore now.
2: Derek had a really nice suit on. I thought he looked good.
3: Well, special occasion, you know, you gotta class it up. saying mm-hmm. like
0: you know the vest no tie situation.
2: He's got a style. He's he he really style. killing it. So I liked it. I thought he was good. I thought his speech was really good.
0: There's always something to me that stands out like about being the type of person who can be a hall of famer or the type of person who can be a professional athlete. And one of the things is also. All those things add up to make you the type of person who can stand in front of 45,000 people without a speech written down and just speak from the heart and have it make sense. right?
2: And have it be like exactly perfect, like what yeah, and you I mean, want to express.
0: I don't think anyone's going to – this wasn't the Gettysburg Address, but it made sense. It mm-hmm. had a coherent – arc yeah (laughs) what i find interesting is afterward he said the reason he likes to do this stuff extemporaneously is because he thinks that if he writes something down and then forgets one part of it it'll throw him off Mm -hmm. so the idea that somehow it's easier for him to just go off the cuff again from the field of yankee stadium there's a lot of reasons why i'm never going to be inducted into monument park but um (laughs) every so often it's Pretty made even more clear Just why certain Just another
2: thing people are. Derek Jeter is really good at.
3: Yeah.
0: A, a, another thing Derek Jeter does better than I do. <laughs> he,
3: he's probably like, he probably gives the best best man speeches of all time too.
2: We should get Jorge in here and be like, what did Derek say at your wedding, Jorge? Right. Well,
3: I think
0: it's all best man speeches end up being about the best man, but Derek hates talking about himself, so he'd probably be the only person who's like, <laughs> no, 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 enough about me though. Let's talk about the groom. <laughs> yeah. I uh, mean, it
2: was cool.
3: It, it was. It was a very memorable day and, uh, you know, I just couldn't help I, thinking about the fact, you know, I thought that there was some kind of, I don't know, irony or it was notable that we were playing Houston that day, the team that had the first pick in the draft that year. And I just kept thinking about how easily history could have been completely different. You know, there were five teams that passed on Derek Jeter and, you know, he fell to number six. And Dick Roche said, this guy's not going to college, he's going to the Cooperstown.
2: And didn't um, a scout for the Astros, like, quit after they did yeah. Him. Hal they Neus- didn't Hal Newhauser. him? Yeah, Hal he,
3: Neuhauser. He said, if you're not going to take my word on this guy, uh, what am I doing here? Right. So, you know, the whole story is incredible. He was a little kid in elementary school and said, I want to grow up to play shortstop for the New York Yankees. And he ended up doing it for 20 years, and now his number two is hanging out there in Monument Park
2: soon to be he'll be in the hall of fame soon enough so it's yeah. an incredible story and it was really cool to be here and see him and he actually seemed to to be nervous. I was talking to some of the guys who were like driving the cart out from Monument Park into when he was going to give his speech and they were like I've never seen him more nervous before. He actually was like oh my god, he was like sweating. Yeah. So it's interesting to see, like, this is the time he gets nervous yeah. when he's getting his number retired. He doesn't really have to do anything. He just has to, like, smile and be there. <laughs> but isn't that he's why you end up
0: in Monument Park? Because what makes you nervous is that, but not, like, the World Series. I right. guess so, yeah. And when
3: he, you know, has the microphone, he didn't seem nervous one bit then.
2: No, he's nothing if not good on a big stage.
3: Yes, so. Exactly.
2: We had a big day at the magazine sales. People were rushing to get those special covers, which had um, Derek Jeter's number two really prominently featured from his two thousand nine hundred ninety ninth hit that we put on the cover. It was very nice,
0: very cool. I think we figured out our fourth best sales day ever. Mm, it
3: yeah. was a big day. People yeah, liked it. You know, I mean, if you're at Yankee Stadium for Derek Jeter Day, you want to take home a nice, a uh, nice keepsake from from an event like that, and. Fortunately for us, a lot of people did pick up the uh, the commemorative magazine that we had out on sale that day.
0: It was the top-selling item at the stadium that day. So if you got one, good for you. If you didn't, there are still extremely, I say still, who knows when you're listening to this, <laughs> um, extremely limited quantities available. Um, some are at the stadium now, or you can call 800-GO-YANKS, and maybe i will get lucky. But we're talking really like dozens left, not hundreds.
2: If you want one, act fast. Um,
0: Only baseball is on tap at Island Park. Clan and color team to mix on the diamond today. Strangleholds, razors, horse whips, and other violent implements of argument will be barred at the baseball game at Island Park this afternoon when the baseball club of Wichita clan number six goes up against the Wichita Monrovians, Wichita's crack color team. The Colored Boys are asking all their supporters to be on hand to watch contest, which, beside its peculiar attraction due to the wide differences of the two organizations, should be a well-played amateur contest. On the side of the Colored Boys is the fact that they have had a ball team here for several years, while the Klansmen are comparatively newly organized, but both are playing good ball. The novelty of the game will attract a large crowd of fans, although both teams say that all the fans will see is baseball. The umpires have been instructed to rule any player out of the game who tries to bat with a cross. The names of Irish Garrity and Dan Dwyer, well-known amateur umpires and Catholics, has been suggested to get away from all possible favoritism. Wichita Beacon, June 21st, 1925.
2: Please don't be alarmed this is not a story that we are putting in Yankees magazine, although it does appear slightly... In a story that John wrote in the May issue called Love Story, and it's about the Negro Leagues. John, talk to us about this story and this particular article that you just read.
0: Yeah, so I feel like this article kind of does tell the story in a lot of ways. It's so bizarre. It's so jarring. <laughs> um it's treated in the museum as though it's a normal artifact of life. Right next to it is a little, you know, sign saying that the Monrovians beat the clan 10 to 8. So, yeah good, good on, good <laughs> on them. Um, and it, But it really does help tell the story that this museum exists to tell. And one thing that you learn from it is the importance of perspective and the way you tell these stories to make you understand this. I had the privilege when I was out in Kansas City, of walking around the museum with Bob Kendrick, who's the president of the museum. And Bob Kendrick is an African-American community leader who runs an incredible organization, and I'm not. And I'm looking through this, wondering how to react to this. And he is cracking up. (laughs) And that helped me understand what he was trying to say about it, which is you have to laugh at this stuff. And the benefit of time and the benefit of perspective is you get to laugh at this stuff because it's so obviously ridiculous. It's ridiculous enough that you could show this to a kid and have that kid's reaction of laughter mean that we've done something that we've made some progress because it's inexplicable that something like this could be in a newspaper and treated as reality.
2: Had you ever been to the Negro Leagues museum before you you went for the story?
0: I hadn't and my most of my experience with the Negro Leagues came from the Ken Burns documentary right. um in the mid 90s and you know the stories of the Negro Leaguers there it's all you know, glee and happy and Buck O'Neill smiling and laughing and telling his stories to the point that I didn't know what to expect when I got there. But the thing is, man, the Negro Leagues Museum and really the Negro Leagues, it's love. It is just happy baseball. Obviously, like the segregation is the original sin and it's the root cause of all this. But man, when they were on the field, that wasn't what they were fighting against. They were playing the other team and they were
3: excelling and doing it better than anybody else in America at the time. And so that's kind of the point of the museum, huh? And, and is that what you were expecting to see going in there?
0: I didn't know what I was expecting to see when I was going in there. I thought I was going to see a lot about, you know, Josh Gibson and cool Papa Bell and Satchel Paige. And of course that stuff's there. And it's great. It's a brilliant, it's a, it's not a huge museum, but it's brilliant and it's well put together and you get just so much out of it from a short time. But again, It's a very emotional experience, and it's not a sad experience. So I went in there. Maybe what I brought in some baggage, um, just because of time and the fact that most of the Negro Leaguers, you know, passed away at this point, um, it's hard for me not to think about something like, you know, the Holocaust Museum and obviously I want to be very careful this isn't I'm not comparing the two necessarily but the idea of you know who's alive to tell the story and how do you keep the story going when everyone's dying off um, and I kind of thought that's what I was going to get from it this idea that like drilled into you like you know, eat your vegetables and learn this history and it wasn't that it was you know why don't we know more about this this is amazing this is awesome There was a great story that I was able to get into my feature, Ray Doswell, the curator of the museum telling about one day he was in there and he saw a visitor who was really emotional and he went over to him to ask him if he was okay. It was a white middle-aged guy. And he said, you know, I lived in the Bronx. I lived right by Yankee Stadium. And I knew that these things were going on there, these Negro League doubleheaders on Sundays, and I never went and I missed it. I could have seen this. I could have been there. There's no reason I didn't go other than the fact that I didn't know. And that's what I feel like you leave with from this. Not so much you know, the tragedy of its existence, but the tragedy of the story not being better known.
2: So I'm really glad that you wrote this story to kind of bring some light on these players, on this museum in particular, because it tells a story that very few people know and more people need to know. So I'm, I'm, I thought you did a good job, and you really mixed in Kind of different elements. You you mixed in fences, the August Wilson play, which was a movie in twenty sixteen. You mixed in an opera, and you mixed in the Ken Burns documentary. You talked about a little bit. So when you went to this museum, what were you thinking the story would
0: be? You know, so you have Buck O'Neill, who is if you've ever encountered Buck O'Neill at all, whether in you know the Ken Burns documentary, or just any other interviews with the guy, or the Joe Posnansky book, "The Soul of Baseball." He is literally, you know, the world's happiest person. It seems um, that isn't the vision you get of the Negro Leagues from "Fences," um, which was on my mind because it was just out last year. So I was trying to figure out: obviously, one is real and one is fictional, but how do they kind of? How can they work together? How can you know this idea of Troy Maxson from "Fences" being so? you know, angry about his missed opportunities and Buck O'Neill from reality just being so happy with the chances he got. And I kind of wanted to, you know, play those off against each other. And while I was doing that, I happened to come across this totally random opera that was being put on in Pittsburgh and was really successful and it got great reviews and it's going to have another uh, run in Michigan next year. And so I wanted to talk to that guy because I think it's important to realize this falls on us in a lot of ways. CeCe Sabathia, was saying that as an African-American major leaguer, a lot of the responsibility falls on him. But if we're to fancy ourselves, you know, storytellers in this room, you know, this stuff is going to fall on us. People need to figure out ways to tell these stories. This is the history of the game. And so to me, it was really interesting to see, you know, the history perspective in the museum and the Ken Burns documentary, but also ways that you can fictionalize it while also getting the message across. And so that's what I was trying to show in the story. Yeah, the history of not just the game, but of our country cc you know he mentioned to me that he took his son there it was really important for him to do that with his son the players you know the players get it i didn't just want to go around the room you know walking up to every african-american player and only talking to them about it i spoke to you know a lot of players from different backgrounds about the museum aaron hicks for sure i spoke to him about it cc these guys you know they recognize that this is a very special place and one thing that was great that it didn't actually occur to me in these words but uh Again, Mike Ficaro, the columnist for The Post, put it in there. You know, you don't play regular season games in Cooperstown. The players can't go to the Hall of Fame during the season. But this is as close as they can get in terms of really getting, you know, the
3: history of baseball. Well, it sounds like the stories that are being told by the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum aren't really based on statistical accomplishments and things of that nature necessarily. Like, it's more about, you know, just... The way kind of life was for these guys
0: yeah cause, and, and it's also worth pointing out i mean the negro leagues that we think of you know in terms of the actual organization of the league it's a little bit fluid in terms of what games were real and what games weren't what stats were kept and what weren't you know we we think we know generally and, and there are historians who have done an amazing job at kind of like going back through these uh news accounts to try to put together for example you know what josh gibson did in his life but you know the statistics are the afterthought in a sense one thing that i actually thought was great and i think that i don't know maybe this is just me you know you always kind of think of even if you don't want to and even if you don't mean to there's some idea of the negro league's level of competition in some ways as being lesser and being you know more kind of like less formal and whatever. So you kind of wonder, man, well, I wonder how Josh Gibson would have done against major league pitching. And one thing that Bob Kendrick shot me down on right away is imagine what Josh Gibson would have done in nice hotels and traveling, you know, on nice trains and having good meals and everything like that. Imagine how many players, you know, would have had hits stolen by cool Papa Bell. So, you know, his idea was don't look at if these guys would have been diminished at all by going to the major leagues, look at what they might have done to some of the major leaguers. And that's you can't argue with that point. I mean, you, you obviously you know there were great Negro League pitchers who would have done a number on some big league hitters, but it's the other things too, just this, the quality of life and the defense that these guys were capable of. You really wonder what the players that we now know of from that era would have actually looked like if they were playing in an integrated league.
2: Babe Ruth might have struck out a few more
0: times. Maybe. I don't think Cool Papa Bell was going to steal too many of his home runs, but eh,
2: probably not. <laughs> but you never know. That's the thing, John. What do you? What would you say is the one message you left with, or the one thing you would most want people to know about the museum after having seen it and written about it?
0: There's a quote that stuck out to me from uh, Bob Kendrick, who said, you'll never see a greater love of the game than you do when you come here. They had to love it in order to endure what they had to endure in order to play baseball in this country. And I think that that is just a crucial way to understand this place. You can't look at the Negro Leagues in the that generation through today's eyes. You know, They, they didn't view what they were doing as subservient and lesser than what was going on in the major leagues. They didn't. You it as possible they could play in the major leagues. You know, I'm, I'm not forgiving anyone when I say this, but they understood what the world was. And all that they cared about was that everyone knew that they were the best baseball players in the country, that they were playing baseball just as well as anything else you would see during a non-Negro Leagues game at Yankee Stadium. And I think that when you go through this museum, and I really hope that everyone will, like it's really hard not to leave with that idea of just how much joy and love and how much incredible good baseball there was being played back then
2: John I think you did a great job with the story it's called Love Story it's in the May issue of Yankees magazine I definitely recommend you give it a read coming up we have a interview with Sam Gerard, the manager of suite services at Yankee Stadium and a discussion about what's coming up in the June issue of Yankees magazine so stick around Samantha Gerard's days at the stadium are rarely short or simple. As the manager of suite services, Sam is in charge of coordinating the thousands of fans who come to the Bronx to enjoy the suites and clubs Yankee Stadium has to offer and making sure that their visit is as enjoyable as possible.
1: I'm basically in the lobby from, you know, gates opening to like maybe the first inning, just, you know, taking care of our clients, greeting them, welcome them to the stadium, making sure that it's a smooth, you know, adjustment from entering the stadium to their location. And then I'm running around the stadium, checking in on our clients, making sure that everyone feels welcomed mm-hmm. and loved
2: around here. But Sam's work doesn't end when the team hits the road or packs up for the season. She plans trips for ticket holders who want to see the Yankees play even when they're away. And during the offseason, she plans events inside and outside the stadium.
1: Which are inviting our clients to Toronto. So it's a road trip That's and cool. we fly them in. We host them in Toronto. Basically, it's a weekend of Yankee baseball.
2: Obviously, Sam's job is time consuming, but she loves it. And... It just makes the hours she gets outside the stadium even more precious. Sam and I actually grew up in the same small town slash village of Harrison. Yes, there really is a slash in our town designation. And we both went to the same elementary school, St. Gregory the Great, where my mom actually taught. We talked about all that and much more in this edition of At the Stadium.
1: I started with the New York Yankees in April of 2004. I was coordinator of hospitality and concessions.
2: Okay. And what's your title now?
1: Now I am manager (laughs) of suite services.
2: Wow. Sounds big. So
1: tell me what the job is. You joke around. My uh, position is like a jack of all trades. So I um, oversee our luxury suite holders, our field MVP suites, our suite level, our front row legends clients, our concierge team. And I also oversee our events such as our road trips, such as any alumni player appearances for our department. Um, I oversee the gifting
2: in our department. What's a typical day like for you? Both when the team's here, when the team's on the road? What is what's it look like? Sure.
1: So when the team is here, it's you know, I come in about nine o'clock in the morning and basically my responsibility is to make sure that we're prepared before the gates open. Mm-hmm. So it's just everything as making sure our clients their events. A lot of our clients who rent out our suites or purchase our suites, do events. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't just host. So we work with them. And it could be you know 10 10 different client events that go on so we'll make sure that their event is ready to go such as any av you know we'll call the vip guest list if there's any gift bag drop-offs alumni appearances if there's any alumni appearances going on in the premium areas or in the suite visits mm-hmm. um make sure that our concierge team all host and concierge is scheduled to certain suites or sections in our premium areas and then um You know, daily, we're doing emails and phone calls, you know, communicating with our clients to make sure that any special requests or needs are taken care of for their event that day. Then, also, preparing for the Mm homestand. So, I can get phone calls, (laughs) you know, regarding an event in September or regarding an event in June, and it could be, you know, March. And then, whatever other responsibilities we have that week on a, you know, if this is for game day. And then, if we have an event going on that weekend or an event going on in that month, we're also multitasking and taking care of those projects. So then that's p- about from like 9 to like, oh, let's say, 3.30. So light,
2: light morning. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then we go over to
1: game day responsibilities, which is basically making sure that every suite is ready to go, such as the lights are working, All the chairs and fixtures are up to par. We check the suite level. We check the front row clients' seats. um, We check the gate four suite lobby. I also manage that lobby. So then if there's any special gift bags or any special, you know, service needs that gets taken care of, we meet with our concierge team to go over everybody's responsibilities for the day. And then it's gates opening. Wow. So I'm basically (laughs) in the lobby from, you know, gates opening to, like, maybe the first inning. Just, you know, taking care of our clients, greeting them, welcoming them to the station. And Making sure that it's a smooth, you know, adjustment from entering the stadium to their location. And then I'm running around the stadium checking in on our clients, making sure that everyone feels welcomed mm-hmm. and loved around here. I get maybe get five minutes to myself about the fourth, <laughs> fifth inning and then back doing visits and checking in on our clients, making sure that everyone's having a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love to get the feedback from our clients on game days. On non-game days, again, you know, preparing for the next homestand, working with our sales team, if they sold any suites, you know, connecting with the clients, making sure my service team is responding to emails, introducing themselves, letting them know what added benefits they Mm -hmm. can, you know, have here as a suite holder or a premium client. And then preparing for, like, our road trips, you know, any events that we're doing in the next few weeks. So. It could be a little bit different here and there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what kind of events are you managing?
1: So, so we have an upcoming event um, going to which inviting our clients to Toronto. So it's a road trip, That's and cool. we fly them in. We host them in Toronto. Basically, it's a weekend of Yankee baseball. And we also do events at NYY Steak. Mm -hmm. I work with our sales team to have sales events. And I basically do behind the scenes. I create the menu. I create the event. I, you know, make sure if there's any alumni. I arrange the alumni. We do the gift bags. And we do the AV setup. And then we also do, like, other intimate events. As We work with Fashion Week, um, IMG Fashion Week. And we create, you know, an exclusive invitation that they can be our guest and watch the fashion shows behind the scenes. Nice. Um, We also work with Carlos Bakery to do some private cooking classes. Um, In the past, we've done breakfast with Santa at Rock Center. (laughs) Clients who have children, we invite them to have breakfast with Santa, and then they go ice skating at Rock Center. That's
2: pretty awesome. Yeah, (laughs) so
1: we kind of create different events depending on who our clients
2: are. And year-round. Year-round. We become more of a country club atmosphere. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And so you started in 2004, right? Mm -hmm. So how has... Everything changed. It's it's been a long time yes. now. Yes. Since 2004 you changed stadiums, you have changed jobs. What's been the difference? What's the journey like? It's it's been fun. What's different is that at this stadium we
1: provide a lot more benefits, mm-hmm. a lot more amenities. There's a lot more to do here than the past Yankee Stadium, I should say the old Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I loved the old Yankee Stadium, all such did. history such celebrations and memories but the new stadium we provide so much more
2: so tell me what are like some of the coolest aspects of the job the coolest
1: is you never know who you're going to meet I love my clients I think that um, each one of them has their own story yeah and identity of course Um, they're all different but it's become more of a family you know, I don't see them as a season ticket holder or just a client. I you know, know my clients by their first and last names. I know their wives or husbands mm-hmm. and their kids. And to see them come through the doors in the sweet lobby and, you know, to celebrate, you know, like Mother's Day with them or to celebrate their birthdays or anniversaries or either milestones it's something special it's a strange and undescribable feeling and i know sometimes people will roll their eyes and say but they're just your clients that they're not my clients have become family members mm-hmm. and close friends and to see how that when they invite someone who's never been to yankee stadium to see the the you know the service and what we provide and the amenities it's you know such a great you know feeling and i take it back all the time saying wow you know <sighs> and the you know i get to meet a lot of you know interesting and high-profile clients. You know, if we have any celebrities or any VIPs, um, I work with our company to escort them into the building or stadium ops and security to make sure that they get into the stadium without any hassles, and they get to their seats. So I meet a lot of, you know, very high-profile clients you and get guests.
2: Any fangirl moments?
1: <laughs> Actually, no. I think I'm just more getting, you know, more so drained to get them into the building, no right. hassles. You're just and so then, worried about it. Yes, I get very anxious <laughs> to make sure that everything goes smoothly. So um, I really haven't had any, you know, wow <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or any good. starstruck, no.
2: Mm-mm. Tell me a little bit about life outside the stadium. What do you like to do? Where'd you grow up? What are some of your interests? So I grew up in a town of Harrison,
1: which is in Westchester County. You and I share that right We have a little
2: bit of a shared history. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so funny because Harrison is really so small in my mm-hmm. eyes and you don't think how many people, other people have like, oh yeah, I know Harrison. Or I grew up there. Or, right. My aunt lives there. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> what I do for fun is I love to go to the gym and I love to be outside. I love to garden. I like to any bit possible for me to, Um, enjoy my day off is me being outside and being outdoors you know I volunteer a lot I where um, do you volunteer I volunteer, you know, I do a lot of charity work. Mm-hmm. Um, I help with my friends, companies, or organizations that need no advice, such as, you know, what do they suggest in planning or doing any, like, you know, for example, Crohn's and Colitis right. or the MS walks. So, so I you help
2: I, them, like, logistically? Yeah. Okay, so I like, oh, give them cool. my advice.
1: Then I volunteer myself because it hits home those two charities. I used to work um, at the church that we uh, both go to. <laughs> I used to volunteer and do CCD uh-huh. on Sunday mornings. Oh, Don't ask me, me how I was able to d- did it, but I <laughs> Did it, and uh, <laughs> I do that, and then. Um... You know, I have a dog, a puppy that I love to
2: pieces. Mm-hmm. And so I'm with him. Tell me what you garden, because we're big gardeners too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do a lot of vegetables. Yes. I do tomatoes and, you know, basil and parsley. And um, I'm actually growing hot peppers this year, which is really good. That's meat. awesome. And I'm doing strawberries. So let me know. I'll let you know in September. Oh, nice. I grew last year um, Brussels sprouts for the first time. Oh my God. And I didn't realize <laughs> that they grow like straight up. and And I'm like, is this the right thing or is this becoming a weed and <laughs> it's supposed to pull it apart remind me did my mom teach you
2: or did she
1: didn't teach me so but she <laughs> did teach my brother and I believe my cousin. Right, because we both yeah. went to
2: St. Greg's. That's right. Yes. And my mom was a teacher, and so we oh my god, it's so crazy. I know. I know.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. It's so many it's so funny to see even other teachers who've worked and taught us at the school, um, around town. I'm like, Oh my god, you're so and so or oh you're you're you know, can you do you remember me? They're like, Yeah, you haven't changed one bit. I'm like, No, I think I have. Now you
2: have a wedding coming up. I do. Congratulations. Thank you. So what's it been like to plan it? And in- well, I would say Let's it's back to the
1: original question of saying what do you do on your day? <laughs> off. I have been planning a wedding. We just moved into a new house. Well, we should say as I bought a house. Congratulations. And, um, we haven't moved in yet because we were doing a lot of construction and you know fixing in up. In Westchester, yes, in nice. Westchester. And um, so I'm getting married on New Year's Eve. So. To your first question, my days off have been fixing my new home up, and also I'm planning my wedding. That's so I exciting. Know. I am. It's a big
2: year. Do you do any construction yourself? No, Like, are I do you not. doing any of the DIY? A couple years ago, I was
1: taking my Christmas decorations, and I fell off a ladder. Oh, my God. Yes. So I broke my arm in three spots and my leg. Oh, my God. So I've learned my lesson of not to go on a ladder and to ask for help.
2: That's, I think, <laughs> smart. Good. Yes. So last question. Yes. Favorite memory from being here at Yankee Stadium? That's a tough one. My favorite memory.
1: Being involved in the 2009 World Series. From my mentors here and, you know, working closely with other executives and senior vice presidents and directors in the company, they always said about winning the World Series and wait till you get to the World Series and wait till you get to the playoffs. And experiencing, I mean, I've been here, you know, since 04, um, and, you know, seeing us, in the playoffs and going to the division series and ALCS, but really getting to the World Series was something so special, especially that it was opening year for us. Right. So part of this memory was um, we were going to Philadelphia Phillies, <laughs> and I was with my other coworker, and we decided let's create these signs. This is win it for the boss. And we brought it with us and we used actually um, a poster that we did our presentation with and it ended up in the daily news. Oh my God. And we were on the the TV. you got
2: it hung up at your desk here. Yes.
1: (laughs) And I remember, um, and I hate to be in front of the camera, so... We had to play the the next game here, which we won. Everybody's like, did you see the Daily News? I'm like, no, I didn't see the Daily News. I'm so tired. We just came back from (laughs) Philadelphia. They're like, you're in it. We your signed. Win it for the boss. So that was something special because I knew that um, it's something that we'll never forget. And then, of course, we won it. Mm -hmm. So that was special. And then also another good memory is when the Pope came. Yeah, You know, that's something, you know, being raised as a Catholic and going to Catholic school my whole life, seeing the Pope here was something really special. So those are two, you know, the really, really important or, say, great memories that I do have.
2: Awesome. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. And my mom says hi. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Hello.
2: (laughs) All right, guys. How about Hope Week? We're like... What is it? The ninth year of Hope Week now, right? Yeah. Pretty exciting.
3: Very exciting. This is always a, uh, a memorable week around here. Interesting where it falls in the month <laughs> this, this time around. Uh, you know, it's always, it always, Hope Week always coincides, obviously, with a homestand because uh, for those who don't know what Hope Week is, HOPE stands for Helping Others Persevere and Excel. And each day, Yankees players and coaches go out into the community and they kind of just recognize individuals and organizations who have been out there doing amazing things for people. So fourth week of May, Mm -hmm. uh, the Yankees are home, and each day we'll be covering the different events that the Yankees are doing, and we'll work diligently to get that information into the June magazine. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you can't not be moved by the events and uh, meeting the people involved and uh, every year it's just something that really I think we all kind of look forward to.
2: I really I love Hope Week and I know John you do too. We all love it. Um, Giving back is so important to me personally and and to be a part of an organization that makes it a priority as well is really it it hits home and it's always inspiring. It's always fun to surprise the organizations, the people involved. It's
0: You truly can't believe what it's like to see the impact that these players can have on people. Um, You know, what Hope Week, a lot of it, Hope Week isn't necessarily, you know, make a wish where you're just trying to make someone feel better who's going through a tough time. Hope Week's about really recognizing the people who make someone feel better. So a lot of times, you know, these are the people who their life is about doing good and their life isn't about, you know, the external rewards they get for this stuff. And for them to be recognized um, when the players come out there and they see them, the reactions you get are just so remarkable and they're so real and emotional. You know, we can all be cynical about baseball players and athletes and professional athletes in general. You can't fake it when you're around these people, though. And if you look at the way the players interact with them, you know, they're not doing it because their cameras are rolling or they're not doing it because it's going to help their next contract or it's going to help them win the next game. They're just doing it because. They realize that somehow you know, you reach a point in life where your simple presence can, can brighten a room, and it, it's, it's awesome to watch these guys.
2: This speaks to the Steinbrenner family as well because it's very important, I know, to all of the Steinbrenners that this continues and that they can continue to shine light on all of these individuals and organizations who are doing great work. Jenny Steinbrenner-Swindle, who is the general partner for the Yankees, is always present for Hope Week, and she always says that it's her favorite week of the year because she loves to give back and to make these people feel special because what they do is so special.
0: We have to also throw some credit to Jason Zillow, who's uh, the head of uh, media relations for the team. Hope Week was his brainchild about a decade ago, and... It is impossible to state how much work this week is for his department and really for the whole organization, everyone who's involved. Everyone has a little piece of it. And especially coming as it does in the middle of a season, it's really hard to get a bunch of players somewhere. It's really hard to keep the secrets of Hope Week. It's really hard to make everything work perfectly. But, man, it is so worth it. It is, it is literally the moment when all of my cynicism just fades away because it's so perfect when and you see it. he's
2: got a things. lot of cynicism, folks. So that's a big accomplishment.
3: <laughs> and I, I don't know what the exact uh, number is, but the Yankees' record during Hope Week, I, I feel like they play, like, 900 baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been Hope Weeks where we go 5-0. and yeah. Like, that's happened several times. We're going to have hope September. (laughs) Um, So, John, you've been uh, with the Yankees how many seasons now? This is my fourth season,
0: but in my years at Major League Baseball, I was always kind of around when Hope Week was going on, too. Mm. So I kind of have memories from all nine Hope Weeks.
3: Yeah. Do you have any favorite memories or most poignant Hope Week events that kind of stick out in your mind? There's one that I always remember, and
0: well, I remember you know the margins of it. I wish I remember the exact details, but it was a place I believe called Camp Sundown, and it was, it's a camp for kids who have this incredible um, disease that makes them completely unable to be in sunlight. But basically, what the Yankees did after a game. Was they put on? They turned Yankee Stadium into a camp for these kids, like just like a carnival, essentially on the field that ran through the night. Because you know these kids often have to work on, have to live on, you know, the opposite schedule like that. And there were just players and coaches and executives here through the night, into the dark, letting these kids have the time of their lives. And I, you know, a lot of times it's easier than that. This was just such an extraordinary example of what you
3: can do to make people's day. Special or night special, I guess. Probably my you know most lasting memory of, of Hope Week was from that night. I'll just I'll never forget. It was about three in the morning, and AJ Burnett was still out there just playing with these kids. And Brian Cashman was like, "Dude, you got to leave, man! Like we, we <laughs> got a game tomorrow." <laughs> but he didn't want to. He was having such a blast. It's really, and,
0: I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Yeah, that.
3: Um, and you see things like that that just it's they're impossible to forget they just you know singe a memory into your brain when you see stuff like that
0: but i think it's also really important to say you know that that's one extreme obviously last year i went to an event for hope week which was literally just an urban farm in Mm -hmm. in harlem where you know a guy has basically made part of the curriculum in schools there of working on these tiny little you know pocket park farms um, where the, these kids are learning how to, you know, grow their own produce and enjoy their own produce and understand the land and what this stuff means. And I mean, so you know, maybe the, this isn't, you know, going to change these kids' worlds to know this and, as far as they know, but it's hugely important. And this guy is doing it just for, you know, the love of these kids. And you know, it was remarkable to see that too. To be eat, there was a celebrity chef, Andrew Carmelini, there who made a salad of all from all their produce. Mm-hmm. And it was just an awesome event and things like that that I don't think that that guy went to work that morning thinking today's the day I finally get recognized for this. Mm-hmm. But I mean you watched the players who were sitting there, you know, helping these kids, you know, plant stuff and helping them harvest things and it, it was just it was it, a smaller but awesome experience
2: i remember my first the first event i went to was actually not even really a hope week event it was a reunion of past hope week participants and it was at the intrepid um air and space museum and they had everybody they had honored in the previous i think it was five years to that point it was like the five-year reunion And to be in the room with all of those people and they were connecting with each other and they were connecting with the Steinbrenners and Cashman and the players who were there and to see all of these good people in one room who have dedicated their entire lives to making other people's lives better it was inspiring and then i remember going to west nyack and there was a a guy who who organized a a charity called baking memories for kids and he just bakes chocolate chip cookies thousands and thousands of chocolate chip cookies and he sells them during the holiday seasons and he sends sick kids to orlando florida to go to disney world and and universal and that's all he does that's just he just stands in the kitchen and he bakes cookies like day in and day out and CeCe Sabathia was there and he had his chef hat on and they were just baking cookies and this guy was so touched that they were there and I'll, I'll always remember those things it's an incredible thing the Yankees do and I...
0: it's always amazing to me how much the players get it how mm-hmm. much they understand what the real stuff is
3: the, the challenge for us every year with this is always there's just so many great Images from these events and so many amazing stories to tell. And it's, uh, we always wish we had more space than we do. And more time. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. more time uh, to tell it. But we always, you know, try our best to kind of convey what the most important aspects of each day's, you know, itinerary was. And the, the feedback that we get is always really, really positive. No matter what's going on in Yankee land, whether the team's playing well or not, fans appreciate. A, just seeing Yankees players out of their element. I mean, to see C.C. Sabathia in a chef's <laughs> hat, whatever the case may be. I mean, to see these guys out in the community it is is cool. But just also seeing the team they love do good things in the community just you know generates very positive, warm feelings in the hearts of Yankees fans. So uh, we always try and sort of be the the vehicle for that in Yankees Magazine.
0: So hope we this year is May twenty second through twenty sixth. And to get more information, you can go to yankees.com slash hopeweek, and you can find all about it there. And when you're done with that, make sure to get our (laughs) June magazine where you can read about each of the events this year and all the surprises for the people who are recognizing.
2: So, yes, that'll be in the June issue. And then there's a ton of other exciting stuff in the June issue, including the alumni section Mm -hmm. and a fun story that, Nathan, you're writing about Judge... Mr. Aaron Judge right. and Ronald Torreyes. The Honorable
3: Aaron Judge.
2: <laughs> All rise, please.
3: Yeah, well, you know, we had a fun little uh, photo shoot this earlier this month with Aaron Judge and Ronald Torreyes. Everybody gets such a kick out of seeing those two guys interact with each other on the field. I can't and,
2: understand why.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we had a good time with them. And, and I think it's a story that, you know, a lot of people will enjoy reading and also, of course, seeing the pictures, um, and <laughs> as you mentioned, we've got the uh, the alumni section planned for June to coincide with Old Timers Day, which That's occurs right. on June 25th, I believe, um, and so what we did on Derek Jeter Day was uh, we all kind of caught up with a lot of Derek's, um, you know, former teammates and managers, Friends. And, yeah, and and spoke to them, so we all posed the, the same question uh, to each of those guys about You know, if years from now you were out at Monument Park with a little kid who was too young to have seen Derek play, how would you go about explaining number two? You know what made him so special. So you'll have to pick up the June issue to hear what you know. Everybody from Joe Torre to Jorge Posada to Mariano Rivera, all those guys had to say about that.
2: They were not shy with their praise. Let's just put it that way.
3: No, they had they had some very nice things to say. Turns out people kind of liked Archie. Yeah, who
2: knew? He's he's all right, I guess. Uh, All right, so that's the June issue. It's coming out June 6th when the Yankees return home for their first homestand. So pick it up, and that's it for us, I think. So if you have questions for us, send us an email at podcast at yankees.com. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Yanks Magazine.
0: Rate and review our podcast. Tell us you love it. Tell us why you love it. It actually really does help. Yes, um, Enjoy all the other parts of the Yankees Podcast Network, uh, game recaps and some interviews and things like that. But definitely rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Please, subscribe. please.
2: Yes, subscribe. We've got a lot more fun stuff coming your way as the season progresses. And Pick up the June issue, guys. It's going to be a good one. Don't forget to read about Hope Week and watch all about Hope Week and just, like, be
0: hopeful.
2: hopeful. Stay hopeful, everybody, please.
0: (laughs) Have a great week, everyone.
2: Thanks, guys. Bye.